Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that we've been lucky enough to implement here for over two years now. The product in and of itself is exactly what you need it to be, guys, with options ranging from being a workout provider, as in sending the workout directly to the student-athlete's phones, to being a place where you can communicate with them and bring together multiple streams of data to be its own dashboard for you, your coaching staff, or the athletes. Or you can use what we've added to our, our menu of Coach Me Plus activities, and that's Hydration Station, where all of this information that is provided is based off of research from the Corey Stringer Institute, where we're looking at weighing in versus weighing out and then providing optimal hydration uh, strategies for the student-athletes by them selecting through the menu and tapping on what they'll take home with them and what they're consuming prior to the next practice um, when all the numbers at the top are lined up green. It's something we've had really good success with and the kids have really bought in on. Just another great example of the awesome product that you can find at coachmeplus.com. Guys, hop over to coachmeplus.com today and check it out. It's a product I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hey, everybody. If you enjoy the podcast and the content it provides, be sure to hop over and check out the community. The community is an exclusive members website that is just an extension of what we do here in July at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar. What it is is a combination of video lectures, a coach's corner with your Monday morning take-home information, and a forum where you can talk about anything and everything related to the field of strength and conditioning. In the community, you'll find content added each month from some of the top practitioners in the world, ranging from PhDs to high-level coaches, bringing you exactly what they're doing with their athletes or their research at the present moment. On top of that, an additional discussion by coaches bringing you that Monday morning information, things that you can add to your training program right away. Tying that in with the opportunity to discuss with coaches around the world in the forum on anything and everything from the topics addressed in these presentations to whatever you're seeing in your daily life as a coach. If this sounds like the right thing for you and your staff, go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and try it out for 48 hours for just a dollar. If you like it, you're signed up, ready to roll, and you're jumping into all the great content added each month. If not, feel free to go ahead and cancel at any time. No questions asked. We're really excited about what we're building in the community and hope you are too. Go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com community and check it out today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Arsenal Football Club's Ben Ashworth to discuss the research that he's been part of when looking at the shoulder. Uh, we start talking about you know just what's going on at the club out there in England right now and how they're handling their players and, and how they evaluate and monitor them. And that leads us right into the research that he's been doing. Ben breaks down you know where the idea came from with looking at the shoulder. Uh, he starts talking about what they were looking at, how the test could work with you know your training program, why they picked the test they did. And then we really finish off going over, you know, the differences between the overuse injuries that you'd see, like in a pitcher or a baseball player or a swimmer, versus the contact, collision, um, acute traumatic injuries like in American football and rugby. This is really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. All right, here we go. Ben, thank you so much for being on with us today. 
Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So listen, how about we just give the quick intro, let people know where you're at, what you're doing, and, and we can build off that. Well, at the moment, I'm in Boston. I'm on a personal development trip. Um, uh, but uh, in terms of where I'm at, I'm a, I'm a physio. Uh, 20 years of physio this year, um, which is quite, uh, yeah, quite concerning. Um, and I work for, uh, I work for Arsenal. Um, I'm one of the first team physios working there in soccer. Um, and then the other bits I do, I've got a strength conditioning masters, um, and, uh, I do some consultancy into shoulders. So that'd be a quick, quick intro in terms of my, my background. Yeah. So now your work with Arsenal, I mean, obviously in the EPL, there, there's quite a bit of monitoring and you guys right now are kind of at a little break in the season and we were just talking off camera about how the the guys are out playing for their national teams and and now we're going to you're going to come back from the states to England and sort of kind of pump the brakes and start over in a way let's talk about how you guys are going to start looking at these athletes and building around that uh, and then that'll lead us into the next part okay yeah it's um it's an interesting challenge because we've got people going to all all parts of the globe and they uh, we we when they're at the club we have pretty tight monitoring system uh, which now has become part of the way we work at Arsenal it's the Arsenal way when they go away we've got good relationships with some international teams um, some better than others and we'll get good feedback on what they do in training and we'll have uh, an, an influence in certain conversations over how a player is in terms of their current status and what they'll do but what we can't do is, you know, control their training loads and um, we can't control how many games they play while they're with their national team. So some people will come back um, with pretty undercooked. Some people will be their star player for their international side. So they'll come back, you know, with a lot of mileage under their belts. And so we plug them back in and we plug them back into our system using um, using monitoring. So what's the state of the player when they come back to us compared to what were they like when they went away. And that's how we do it. We, we use that monitoring to, uh, based on quite a wealth of numbers over now probably three seasons. So we've got a very good idea of what's normal for those players. And when we do our screening or our monitoring system, um, it's pretty simple, but we can tell whether they're up or down, uh, whether they're red or amber or green. And then we can then modify that training accordingly. So guys who are undercooked, we can put the foot down a little bit, give them a dose of something. Um, and the guys who need recovery, we just recover them uh, depending on where they're coming back from. You know, some people play in Europe, some people play in England, other guys will fly off to Chile um, or Colombia. And obviously those guys, you know, they might come back into us on the Thursday and, pl and be playing on the Saturday. So that's, that's wow. a significant challenge, yeah. Yeah, I bet because that's a uh, that's not a short flight. No, it's not a short flight. It's uh, you know that's that's a almost a immeasurable cost to a player that you've got to try and factor in. It's it's uh, difficult, and sometimes we we won't even have a chance to 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 monitor those guys. You know, they might come back in on a Thursday. They'll be training pre-match on the Friday, um, and we might get some numbers on them, but they're going to train anyway. Right. So um, and they're going to play. So yeah. we just we just have a good guide as to, 
to how they are. It's not going to influence um, selection. It'll just inform what we do then subsequent to that in the, in the, in the following week. Right, 100%. So now when we're talking about monitoring, since there is a vast array of different things that you can look at or pick and choose to go from, um, obviously within reason because I'm sure that there are some limitations, what are you guys looking at? Like when you look at these gents, what are, what are you guys breaking down? So it's, it's, uh, we've come to a pretty simple system. Um, you know, there's no bells and whistles with it. We use, we use some tests that we've been doing for a long time, probably four or five years, but um, we look at basically load tests. So we'll look at the classic groin squeeze to check the kind of lower abdominal and adductor function. Um, and then we'll look at um, force platform testing using so so looking at a single leg hamstring test at two joint angles and then we'll look at counter movement jumps and those are our three main tests to see is there some sort of element of um you know fatigue or under recovery uh in the system um we use some other tests to inform our intervention so we look at classic mobility tests knees and posterior chain so sit and reach knee to wall but they're not really valid as a fatigue indicator or marker of readiness to return to to high intensity actions so what we did was we we've got a research department at arsenal run um we've got a guy alan mccall and he um has put some science and validation behind the process so now we know what's meaningful for each player so we look at you know what's minimum detectable change what's their standard means and we can now look to see, okay, are those players outside of their their particular individualized scores? And that's beautiful because that that um, gives us some trust in what we're seeing from our numbers. Um, and and that validation process is ongoing. So we we've, we've got to push the button for what we do on that day. But long term, we're continually reassessing what we're doing in terms of the the, the confidence we have in our in our testing process. No, that's fantastic. And then when you're looking at that, those those four tests are driving decisions both in practice and training off the pitch. Yeah, that's um, as a as a sports medicine performance team, we sit down, we'll um, we'll use that data, we'll filter that data and feed it back immediately, and then that's used to guide training decisions. Uh, and that might mean you know pulling someone back from doing some sprint work until they've recovered. So if, if we flag someone based on our scoring system, then we'll retest them the next day and see, are they back up? So looking at that kind of recovery profile, so 48 hours post-game is when we do our monitoring. But what are they like then 72 hours post-game? Because they're going to they're train on that day. They might be asked to sprint at more than 95% of their maximum. If they're still under-recovered based on their normal, then we might choose to put them into some other form of kind of running. It might be sort of high speed zones rather than uh, max speed um, just to, just to consider their individual uh, state. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And now you're doing stuff with force plates, but you're also looking into some research with those, with those devices in a, in a different realm. Yeah. So there's um, basically because of my involvement in this system and the monitoring and what we see day to day, um, and then that coupled with my um, shoulder, you know, my passion for shoulders and, and that side of it, I got involved in some conversations with force decks 
and uh, Dr. Daniel Cohen, who's the co-founder of uh, Forstex. And he put me in touch with um, some pretty sharp people at uh, Saracens Rugby Club in the UK, one of the top teams or the top team in, in, in Europe, it could be argued over the last couple of seasons. And, um, and also uh, a major league baseball team. So uh, some, some really sharp guys at, at this, this little known team over here in the US called, called the Houston Astros. Um, and jo- Jose Fernandez down there and his team, you know, they were looking to innovate. And so we got involved in these conversations and the bottom line was that um, people were being tested. If we look just initially at the rugby problem, the rugby problem was that guys were bench pressing 170 kilograms. Uh, they were dumbbell pressing, you know, f- for three reps, like 65 kg. And they'd pass all their sort of short lever handheld dynamometer tests for, for strength. And yet when they went out into these kind of long lever tackle positions with that high level of stress, that high threshold stress across the shoulder and the shoulder girdle, when they're making those arm tackles or going back into contact, they were developing instability type symptoms or, or, or pain, which was limiting that progression. And that might be them coming back from injury. It might be similarly them recovering from a game. Uh, so we, we came together and had to think about it and we just uh, put together some, some work around shoulders, which has been ongoing for about a year, year and a half. And, uh, we just literally sat down in Boston the other day to finish the write-up for this paper we're about to submit, which is a, a reliability study around the data. And the test comes up really well. You know, stats people tell me I'm uh, no statistician, but there's very good uh, reliability around the test. And now it's just the sort of detail around the test where what happens when we put it under some scrutiny? You know, what happens when guys come back from training the same sort of recovery profile we look at with our hamstrings in the low body monitoring we found some really interesting things around two days after a game and also with guys who are coming back from from uh, from injury and so we can see decrements in their performance on this test which then enables us to intervene in an appropriate way and then perhaps hold them back or be able to push them forward based on based on you know that test as part of a cluster of tests that we might use in in uh, in establishing whether someone's shoulder is healthy enough and and able to perform so when you're saying the test you're referring to the test that you're looking at with the shoulder on the force plates yeah so that's it the, the um it's a it's an interesting test it's uh just been presented i just presented it in berlin it's basically like um imagine sliding in on the floor and it's in a t position you're pushing down into the force platforms and then a Y position and an I position. So the single arm, um, a max test, so three seconds, as hard and fast as you can, building to your maximum as quickly as possible. And what we get off that is we get magnitude of force, which is the reliability stuff is great. And once the guys are familiar with the test, we also get rate of force development, which is the key because guys can, you know, in a rehab process, build up to the maximum slowly. But what we want to represent those kind of meaningful actions is, you know, 50 milliseconds, 100 milliseconds, what's happening there, how much of their max can they produce early on. And, um, and that sort of data is also looking pretty good in terms of rate of force development. We might see people who can produce max force 
who just are way off in terms of that speed of contraction. So therefore, how, how are they going to stabilize that shoulder when they're put in those long lever positions of stress? So it's another great little indicator that I think adds something that, you know, the sort of more portable testing around the field, like the handheld dynamometry stuff that's used in baseball. It just, it just doesn't give you, you know, I've, I've used it with, um, with my last job with British judo and it was a brilliant tool, but yeah, this is, this is yeah, providing some, some useful stuff. So then where do you see that test now, um, altering decisions when it would be with training with a multitude of different athletes? Yeah, well, there's quite a lot of interest in it across rugby. Um, and I suppose any sort of tackling sport that uses those, those long levers. Um, but obviously the interest then went to throwing sports, tennis, um, handball. You know, the guys uh, working in Europe with handball were interested Anything that has that long lever, so straight elbow position that creates that higher torque across the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your question, like the, the, how is it used to make decisions? Well, in a very similar way that we'd use the hamstring force platform squeezes, we'd build up a load of intelligence around each player to know what's normal for them. And then based on that intelligence, we'd look at that recovery profile, 48 hours post high intensity action. That might be hard training session that might be gym-based work that might be um playing a match and so to give you to give you an example from the rugby stuff we did a we did an original pilot trial 48 hours after a game we were doing this test retest so test at 48 hours do nothing between then and 72 hours post game and retest and see if it's reliable and what we found with those players was that on day two their scores were much less than on day three. And so we were, yeah, we were really happy about that because what it indicated was that that recovery post-match suggested that this test was able to pick up certain elements of, of fatigue. And of course, at this point, you know, with a research hat on, that's unproven, that's unpublished. So I talk about it because this is some preliminary investigation, but that's where we're going to go with our research Um trying to look at the sensitivity of the test. Does it respond to game? Does it respond to injury? And, and looking to put some case studies together around that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's brilliant because you look at a lot of that and, you know, the one thing that keeps popping up in these conversations is return to play protocol and the shoulder's a hard one to have numbers and, you know, with the, the software with force decks being so easy to handle, like having those initial pre-injury numbers, I think with with a simple, what, eight-second total, nine-second total test, like that's big time, dude. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 so the test, if you're looking at each position and you do them, say, as a pre-season screen, you test all positions and then that takes about a minute per position because you, you need a 20-second recovery period mm-hmm. because it's a max test. But... Yeah, the beauty of it is that it's you, you can slide an athlete in, slide an athlete out. Um, you can get through a number of players in a short space of time, and that's that's the thing. You know, there's some other ways of testing like isokinetics, but you'd have to strap people in. They're more costly, they're less portable, and they're perhaps more lab based. So, you know, if you strap someone down, it doesn't doesn't represent or correspond to that freedom or degrees of freedom that they have 
in terms of transferring load across the shoulder, they 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 use their trunk right to to stabilize that shoulder as well. So what we don't do is strap them in or lock them down. We let them stabilize themselves. So it's at some point I've rigged myself up to some EMG, but it's a non-athlete case study. But we've we, we need to look at the contributions of like the abdominal muscles to this test. What's happening in you know, in terms of that kinetic chain and how you transfer load across it, but ultimately, it's uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting test. No, yeah, hundred percent. And obviously, that each person's probably going to recruit things a little different and order and and this and that and the other thing. But I think that what's really cool is you're able to look at so many different things in this, and really can drive decisions from people in a multitude of fields. You know, where you're talking about people that don't have um, a fast enough rate of force development. I mean, the first thing I'm thinking is if that's your quarterback, you're in trouble. Or if that's a yeah. linebacker, you're in trouble. You know, like somebody that's going to make a lot of tackles, like that, that's got to drive training decisions now, you know, into yeah. how we can help that. That's absolutely right. And I say that with a little bit of, you know, the handbrake on because that's my excitement. And, and I'm always pulled back, you know, the kind of my fast thinking is pulled back by people who, want to make sure that what we're saying the test does or those kind of testing processes do is actually valid and, and reliable. So we've still got right. a way to go there. But that said, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's the aim is to try and get this into use because the rate of force development, I mean, I, I spoke to one of the top guys in this area, Nick Maffioletti, and we had a Skype conversation. He's a very humble man, gave up his time and he you know, he says there's not a lot going on out there in in upper body um, mm-hmm. to look at to look at this type of stuff to look at rate rate of force development. It just makes makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. No doubt. And then now looking at it with with your guys in mind, could anything kind of cross over, like cross across the plane there to from the upper body to lower body, like any connection maybe hip to shoulder? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can do that. It's quite a reductionist model to look at sort of, you know, we'd look at lower body, then we'd look at upper body. Um, Actually, where the thinking goes, and this is, you know, again, uh, pie in the sky vision, but, you know, at the moment we're lying people on the floor, which isn't totally correspondent to what they're doing on the field. So what we can do is look at in standing, how are they transferring force? So ground, ground reaction forces using platforms and then pushing into a platform using the upper body and standing. Then you've got weight transfer in terms of how you deliver that force into the, into the hand or into the arm. And that's really interesting. So it's not just rate of force development. It's kind of rate of force delivery. What happens from the floor to the arm that leaks energy that stops you being able to efficiently transfer force? Those are the sort of directions I think it should go. Um, and again, it's probably a few people doing some PhD work and a lot of master's students to, to jump on this and, uh, and, and, and do the actual science behind it. But yeah, um, yeah, why not? No, hundred percent. Right. I mean, it's, that'd be an interesting contraption to build. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would, it would. Uh, but looking at that kind of broader stroke now with what you guys have done with putting together this test and and coming up with these ideas have there been any moments in it where you guys 
looked at it and were like, okay, we're on to something? Or were there ever any moments where you guys were like, okay, maybe we're, we need to move in this direction? Yeah. Um, so we, it, it, was basically, it was basically drawn up on a beer map overnight after a Skype conversation with Saracens and with, with, uh, with the Astros. And, um, and then it was a lot of scrabbling around trying to do some pilot work on it in the early stages. And it just seemed to make sense. After that, then it was over to the sharp people who are at the coalface to do the work. You know, I'm not standing over them while they're doing it. The guys at Saracens, Paddy, Hogben and Laura Tullock, um, they ran with it. And they instantly saw the, the benefit of this test. The players bought into it. And, um, and they started to pick up some stuff around some key athletes, people who'd had historical shoulder problems for starters, you know. So instantly you had differences right to left in terms of symmetry. People who'd had Latigé repairs um, who were back playing rugby but had, you know, differences in terms of force production. Um, and that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Guys who had stingers, so acute, uh, you know, neural involvement at the neck, would have drop-off in terms of some of their ability to produce force in, through the arm in this test position. So again, that was interesting to see how that recovered. And then subsequent to that, some guys who unfortunately developed shoulder injuries but had that background of testing to be able to say, look, when we get back, this is what their normal is. So looking at that return-to-play process and monitoring that around a series of other tests, this kind of cluster of tests to look at them to see are they hitting all these markers and, and ultimately what's the limitation to them returning safely to, to that, you know, to the sort of brutality of the, of the game. Oh yeah. So now when you do this, you guys chose the I, Y, and T. Yeah. And you're still pressing with your hand, arm yep. straight. Yep. So why were those three with the straight arm, the three that you picked? It was really because it's like an overhead athlete. So, you know, where most people get their problems is up around 90 degrees of abduction and, and above. Um, and also the correspondence to the, to the tackle position. So the sort of highly referenced injury position is when someone reaches out to the side and they end up at that 90 degree position. So two things, you know, one is the understanding of how the shoulder functions and the other is the specifics of the sport. That's, that's where we went for those three positions. But you know, um, I, I think the T and the Y, for me, are the main two for rugby. But then the other day I was saying this to the guys there and they said, yeah, but, you know, we get injuries where try scorers put the arm down or, you know, you've got guys in a line out. And, I, you know, that's, that's drawing, a, I think, a big leap. But, you know, the guys in rugby are, are using it. And they think the, the other thing about the eye test is that there's less rotation to control through your trunk so you can produce a large amount of force on that test versus the, the, the sort of the wider one, which creates much more rotation. And what we've seen is those differences in, in each test and how that the normal sort of ratio between those three and what you'll do. Sometimes you'll pick up an I test is okay. A Y test is okay. But then as you go out into that T test, actually those rotational issues are the things that may be the, the, the weak link in the chain. And then to come back and focus on anti-rotation core work, will then have an impact on the test without actually even having to look at the shoulder itself. So, yeah, it's 
it's um, providing some interesting conversations for sure. That is, that's fascinating. So then, have you seen it go the other way though, where like, like they would be stable through that rotary idea versus possibly just lacking the power and the strength in the upper realm? Um, we haven't got enough enough numbers there at the moment um, in terms of being able to say that, no. Um, that I think the, the one case that springs to mind, and again, it's a single case study, which again, you, you can learn a lot of it's a single case study, but um, with, a, with a neck injury rather than with a shoulder injury mm-hmm. in that higher position, that was, uh, that was interesting. I think around a kind of first rib uh, thoracic outlet style, uh, style issue. And that seemed to show up worse in the, in the, the more, the sort of long lever eye test position. So the overhead full abducted position. And there's, um, you know, there's a test that's been done with handheld dynamometry, which I found when I was digging out through the literature and it's been done in Japan and using, using the eye position to correspond to that position in the catch. So, there is long lever testing. It's done with a handheld. It has been done out there at the same time, actually, as we were developing our research, it was, it was published. So the thought process from a swimming group is very similar to the thought process from a, you know, a rugby group to a baseball group in terms of trying to capture these, these different positions. Um, and the other thing to say is, you know, the hamstring tests we use, we do them over two angles. And that gives us some really important information because if you're limited over two angles on the same side, you can consider it more of a local posterior chain hamstring type problem. But if you're limited across both, you just got to drop across the board. Maybe it's more centrally driven. Maybe it's a fatigue related issue. Maybe it's um, more kind of cervicothoracic in its origin. You know, why are they getting it on both sides in terms of a drop in performance in the test? And then you start to hone in on that possible cause. So, um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll see more come out as we as we push this test out there. And now that we've almost submitted this paper, which I must do before I get home, we can you know push it out there for people to use. I'm really happy to share it with anybody who wants to share it because I think it's just one of those things that uh, will you know will will help will help teams make decisions. So yeah. No, I, I love it, and that you know, it's just got me thinking. You know, because you bring up swimming, which is something that I've been actively involved in for fifteen years now, and I'm just sitting here thinking, like the difference. I mean, looking away from strokes, but just how like those impact injuries that you're going to see in a football player, an American football player, and a rugby player, versus like that whole pitcher's shoulder and the swimmer's shoulder. I think that'd be fascinating to look at how, you know, swimming a 10K every day um, versus trying to run over people for, you know, yeah. for a living, how that, how that changes those tests and where those impacts versus those overuses um, flip those curves in those numbers, you know? Yeah, and, you know, going away from the test uh, because – that's what we're talking about. But just generally speaking, the the individual athletes will have different 
different demands. So if you look at how a footballer who does a lot of high speed distance but isn't like a sprint athlete specifically, how they respond, it, the force platform stuff will still pick up decrements in those players who aren't your explosive sprint athletes just simply around you know what their body needs to do so I, I think there's your endurance athlete versus your sprint athlete and we're still seeing differences in in their monitoring um, perhaps sometimes less volatility around those numbers with the less explosive players but I think it will then translate into very similar stuff with upper body you know your your contact collision athlete, your power athlete, the guys who need to use the arm explosively versus those who have a load of revolutions through, um, you know, swimming, training, and the sort of more long distance components to that. I think just that's going to tax the system in some way, and it will be interesting to see how that then um, manifests itself with whatever test you're deciding to use to pick up fatigue and recovery. You know. You might just use a pen and paper as a as a coach in the field with no technology at all, and you just might ask them how they are and how tired they are and how sore they are, and track that over time. And that might give you some great information about how someone's coping with a training program or, a, you know, a, um, that kind of process. So it's it's the thought process rather than the tech that will help people make those decisions around the endurance, the fatigue, the sprint athlete, the high intensity athlete. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. And I think that talking about how the thought process is more important than the tech is, is just bringing it all together. And Ben, I, I can't thank you enough for being so open and honest and candid with your sharing today, man. I am stoked to see this paper. Uh, I can't wait for it to come out. You know, it's, Daniel had me on the floor at NSCA National <laughs> um, going through these things. And it's... Uh, I love it, man. Keenan and I were both sitting there, and we still talk about it. I, I think it's, I think it's freaking brilliant, and I can't thank you guys enough for putting this together. Um, Jose should probably thank you more than me because we all know the one change that the Astros made. You know, maybe it led to some success. Uh, <laughs> oh dear, that's t- oh that's a that's yeah. Well, uh, I, I like the tongue-in-cheek reference there, mate. But uh, yeah, these are these are sharp guys. I just. I just stand on the shoulders of giants, eh? Well, yeah, man. But listen, I really do appreciate the time, brother. This is fantastic, and uh, and we'll have this up real soon. People are going to love it. All right. Thanks a lot, mate. Thanks, man. We'll be in touch soon. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, man. And a huge thank you to Arsenal's Ben Ashworth for spending the time with us today, guys. Dude, killer stuff. I mean, the guy running the research, you know, out there in the trenches, working with athletes. Figuring out better ways to evaluate things is, is providing the information to us right there. Cannot thank Ben enough for his candid, open sharing. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Guys, you need to give him a follow on Twitter at Ben Ashworth. He's putting out great stuff there. And make sure you follow at Athletic Shoulder on Instagram. Um, all of that information along with his shoulder consultancy website can be found in the notes. Ben, again, thank you for all you're doing. Awesome conversation. Fantastic sharing. Thank you so much. And as guys, as always, if you did enjoy it, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Again, just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. So please share away. And if you could spare a moment and give us a review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate that as well. 
And as always, guys, thank you for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.